0: everyone and welcome to another Deep Cuts Live. If this is your first time watching, please hit that subscribe button or the follow button on whatever platform you're on. Um, Today's uh, guest is someone that I have known about, but I have not had the pleasure of speaking to. So it's another one of those fun interviews where uh, I'm getting to uh, speak and meet this person kind of for the first time, even though I've uh, known of their company for a while. So let's bring on our special guest, Jeremy Costagli. Jeremy, how are you?
1: I'm very good. Should I say good morning or good
0: evening? <laughs> it's evening <laughs> here. You can probably tell by the bags under my eyes that it's been a long. It's been a long day. I can, I, think
1: I, and I made it longer by trying to be a bit of an arsehole. Trying to do correctly. You know, it a, I'm a bloody technophobe. Antoine's already discovered that. <laughs> That's why I'm natural. It's handmade old style
0: product <laughs> yeah so thank you for coming on when i was speaking to Vlad from uh at tpe he, he mentioned that uh i told him i had a podcast and he said oh you should have jeremy on and i was like if jeremy wants to come on like let's let's do it
1: <laughs> absolutely try to shut me up it's very hard <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good that's always a, a good thing and what we, i want from him, i guess um so Like I said, I I know of you because I wrote a story on your company uh, a month or two ago now uh, for a a different magazine. And I figure we can rehash some of those questions. But sure, just really want to get to know you because you seem to be, uh, you know, when I posted that you were going to be the guest today, uh, there are several retailers that were uh, excited about it. I know that there are big Castagli fans and uh, one of them said that you had the best stories. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah, always that's a good really thing to hear. <laughs> yeah. So tell tell the, the, the listeners and the watchers of this uh, podcast a little bit about you. How did you get your start?
1: How did I get my start? Well, um, the start was all really the dreaded C word, Cuba. We're allowed <laughs> to mention that or are you going to lock me up the next time I arrive? In fact, Um, Homeland Security used to always, uh, for many years, (laughs) put me aside and I'd disappear from people I was traveling with, entering your lovely country, and (laughs) and I'd be slammed away with the lady of the hijabs and the rest of it. Um, Yeah, so I I really got my start in Cuba in 96 when I first traveled there. I was a bit of a scuba diving bum and uh, fell into the world of cigars um, through some encouragement to some people in Jamaica, actually, in the Morgan Harbor Hotel in the port royal and uh, i was diving there with the guys and he said uh, you know the english test match team is uh, turning up to play this strange game we call cricket i don't know if you guys understand it it's kind of like baseball on valium um <laughs> and uh, so i i you know i remember flying into havana um i think the plane was mostly full of war tourists or you no know, war war journalists because the pope john paul ii was due to arrive the first religious leads to arrive in Cuba since the revolution, actually. And so I said, where the hell am I going to? <laughs> all, these, all these guys discussing Bosnia and stuff like this. Um, and so uh, Havana was a really kind of interesting, very interesting place and very few people. And I fell in with the cigar people there um, and uh, started uh, getting involved with Havana Oscars. Um, and it was really an extended dive holiday for about six months. It was, was kicked off with that's the, the short story. Um, and then, uh, I got involved in my own brand creating something, um, in 1997, I suppose, and I was backwards and forwards from Cuba up until that point for about six or seven months. And then anyway, fell in with Carlos Valdez Mosquera who started creating some wonderful cigars for me. And which I was dishing out to celebrities in London, certain hotels, and we became known as bespoke cigars. That's how it all started.
0: I was doing some research on you today, and I was uh, listening to some of what you said about the early days of your company and all the issues you had with, like, once you wanted to 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 have a presence here in the United States, Uh, you got a a good crash course in our trademarking copyright. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh,
1: States trademarking uh, generally. I mean, I love your country. I really do. So don't get me wrong there. But, you know, my focus for the first, I suppose, 14, 13 years, my company was not America because I'd been dealing with Cuba. And so by the time I got Cuba behind me um, in 2012 and started developing something in Costa Rica and also with Kelner, Kelner Jr. in, in, in Dominican Republic my markets are already established in Eastern Europe or the Middle East or whatever so I wasn't looking you know I was still a tiny brand so uh, by the time I actually turned my attention to the United States uh, and one of the emblems which we used I mean there's two things that did make me chuckle and um, one was that you know the emblem we used was our old family emblem that we trademarked in 1885 actually we have got a long history in trading uh, mostly stuck in Egypt and, and Manchester doing cotton as well as Egyptian tobacco. No, sorry, Turkish tobacco. So we had the Colossus of Rhodes, right? It was an old symbol. So when we went to trademark that alongside the bespoke cigars, they so had the Colossus there, bespoke cigars. The We had a charming lawyer. He ended up working for General Cigars, actually, I believe. But he came back and said, Jeremy, we need the original artist's signature for the uh, Colossus of Rhodes and to say it's yours and uh, bespoke. Um, you nobody can trademark it, but you can use it as part of your pattern, your symbol. And I said mm-hmm. of said, Well, yeah, <laughs> but I think the original artist died two thousand years ago, old chap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, but the fact that we said, we Well, that's no good, you're gonna have to change it. I said, Well, how do you change the Colossus of Rhodes? Well, we put a shield on him and we kind of made him a bit different. And even then, the artist that did that was pretty damn nervous. Said, Oh my god, have I got to sign it over to you? But the Colossus is known worldwide and i can't say it's my bit of art i said well you know america's america that's what they want and anyway we got our ass kicked anyway as you know about three years later so it's 2015 went for trademark we had been sending goods to america prior to that as well uh five prior for buying this trademark and anyway you know the rest <laughs> and so we changed the name um due to obviously our little sort of uh, gentleman's agreement with um Alan Rubin about it Bradley it was all handled I think professionally um mm-hmm. and actually he did me a huge favor because you know moving Castagli cigars underneath the Colossus with the shield um was uh, very moving for my family um my father as well he kind of teared up and said it's the first time the Castagli name And the Colossus of Rhodes have been rejoined since 1958, actually. So, you know, and really that most of the stories I tell and as far as our history and heritage do go back to the family. So the fact of calling it Castagli, it's worked. Bespoke is kind of like an overused name that adopted us more than me adopting it. So thank you, Alan Rubin. Also, thank you, Robert Caldwell. Um, And uh, riste from Yasun kral two very different characters of both of them said jeremy call it castagli for christ's sakes <laughs> you know um that's what you should have because that's what it's all about so there you go
0: so w- when you first decided to create your own cigar brand did you originally conceive it to be what it is today or was it just like a project like a cigar that you wanted to hand out to i
1: think you people? got it right the second time it never was a plan to make it a big brand i mean my Money was being made by dealing of actually Habanos goods at that time, which I bought on the domestic market with the thumbs up of then the head of Cuba Tobacco, Oscar Basulto, and the head of the, um, they are probably get shot for this, but no. <laughs> um, and uh, the head of the domestic market, we had great friends of the Cubans there having great fun. So um, this was a supplement. And, and it, you know, the fact that, but it was actually the most fun part of it. You understand? I mean, that's where, where you know, because after you're sort of dealing with Havanos goods and it's a brand that everyone knows, where was the excitement in it? Yeah, it's lovely, cool, elite product. But um, when you start dealing with something with your own name on it and people know that it's just purely yours, then that's exciting. It does. It became, you know, that's the best, but that was the most fun we had. So we kind of teamed up with some top tennis players. I remember traveling with andre medvedev to some of his grand slam tournaments providing he had the, 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 the his cigars with him that i i'd create um and uh also i mean we got it to michael schumacher and the ferrari team uh, that was just doing some cigars and, and so yes this was great fun and they were really elite cigars at the time and got me very close to the saudi royal family which are still a great market for us today so um yeah th- that that was the fun part and eventually it overtook you know, what we are doing with uh, the Havanos.
0: What was that transition like going from just being a, you know, lover and aficionado of cigars to suddenly becoming a brand owner?
1: Well, Well, that's the thing. I couldn't say I was really an aficionado because I was dealing with Cuban stuff. So, you know, that is very, you know, my, my education started when I really left Cuba stuff behind me and got involved with people like, uh, uh, don Alman guzman in, in 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 um costa rica and above all you know obviously Hendrik Kellner jr who taught me that i knew nothing about bloody cigars i know i know a good taste but um you know uh, blind tasting and guessing what's going to happen you know this is this is where my education started um and as far as uh you know, it was kind of like a natural progression, really, because it was I was dealing less and less of Habanos goods as Habanos goods became less and less available. And so I was kind of pushing and more, I was getting a good income from the Saudis, I guess. So, you know, thank you, uh, PK and the rest of you. And, you know, with my Cuban guys there, uh, you know, we still had that going, but, you know, eventually th- that could only be scaled up so much. Um, and uh, what really happened that pushed it, I opened up the market in Belarusia. And we actually became the monopoly. I didn't realize that we're, we're the only people importing into Belarus. So to support my brand, we also were importing Arturo Fuente. Uh, Davidoff was coming on board. Um, and because they were kind of eager to get involved in this fascinating market until Luka Lukashenko, you son of a bitch, took my whole company, wrecked the company and everything in 2016. But by that stage, you know, it really gave my um, natural progression in the business Uh, a boost because I'd already become well known as far as you know in that part of the world and also reintroducing stuff to the Middle East Uh, so uh, yeah um, these things are never planned I I always find the world's chaotic and things just happen you know you think oh I'd love to say I planned it but as long as you put yourself out there and in a position where things could happen then, you know it's um, things do. Maybe for the good or bad, it works or doesn't. The success stories you hear about and the ones that fail you love to read about. Um, so you know, uh, we're in the part of a world now you've got Russia making a nonsense of itself across the border. Uh, you know as soon as a war starts, everything's chaotic. And I think that's very su- true to uh, brands as well, to how their path goes, who wins, who survives, who knows. It really, you can't tell, but you can only do your best, right? That's that's what you're doing. And, and as long as you're enjoying it still.
0: Yeah. And I guess to backtrack a little bit, like tell us a little bit about your family because everybody, oh gosh, your, your, <laughs> your your website is, and it's yeah. great because it goes into such great detail about your family, and your background and how they kind of, you know, set the stage. Yeah well yeah. the
1: thing is you know i mean i only really i mean the, obviously the name castagli but i kind of grew up on my mother's side of the family when i was 12. she my father the castagli is renowned for famous divorces and you can read about that online um but uh, i really i mean i grew up in a privileged background i suppose going to some of the best schools and some of the worst ones as well boarding schools where they kick the shit out of you like victorian days um, the more privileged the family in England back in the '60s and '70s um, were, the means of the tougher the school. So, you know, I kind of thought everybody went through that stuff. And then, then I kind of uh, drifted away from my father, or and it was with my mother. And it's when I started really getting involved. I mean, I went to the best schools, uh, got to the universities, all of that, and just carried on my life. And when I suddenly got involved with cigars, my father perked up and says, "Jerry, what the hell are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm." Sort of doing the stuff with Cuba (laughs) and he says you you know I think you should read more about your family history as to why you might be doing this and why the Cubans might be allow you to work this way and so I obviously understood that they had been big cotton dealers in the past and I you know we grew up with some interesting family relations turning up with their sort of Bentleys and stuff and always crazy stories about Egypt uh, so, I kind of had knew a bit of it, but when I sat down and really understood it, um, it was fascinating. Um, and, you know, obviously they got involved with, I was saying, we're about tobacco. We're about premium cigars. I got to leap some history there. And sure enough, I mean, we came across some incredible stories that you read about, you know, the story of 1951, where we helped the Cuban business really, and it made headlines. Uh, for the uh, embargo, stop the embargo against Cuban cigars. That was my great uncle, Emmanuel. And, uh, you know, when I spoke to the Cubans about that, initially I said, never heard of it. And then eventually, I think it was back in 98, and Pendar said to me, you know, uh, Jeremy, just one thing, you're okay in this country. You'd always be protected here. And he said, by the way, the chap that your uncle did the business with, um, he was released by Jesse Jackson, him out as a political prisoner in 1984 i think so uh garcia so um you know it was an interesting story of that alone but yes it's it's a fascinating one and obviously great for marketing for our company i you know we we do take the stories people love a cigar love a story and um we got great ones and we're going to be doing a new cigar about my grandfather's prisoner of war um, record you know and he was like the man that stitched up hitler very famous chap you'll hear more about that come pca time because we're going to launch a cigar to honor him which by the way the red cross are very interested in helping with as well um for me to i'm going to be donating money to them because of his experience there so he has fascinating stories the castagli family itself and its relationship with america makes for a great seminar just by itself how we fucked you over and you fucked us over and whatever we were quite a big family at that stage and you could See the rise and fall of a family is the rise and fall of a British Empire, actually, Um, you'd have to say, because it was all about industrialization and stealing blind from countries that couldn't afford to stop you. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Egypt. (laughs) Um, So there you go. And of course, the relics are left like a big palace in Cairo, uh, which I've been told is going to be renovated. And the uh, Egyptian Minister of Tourism says I'm welcome there. And they do turn up with my Billika Stagli line of cigars when I next managed to go and uh, take photos by the, by the beautiful place. So, you know, there you go.
0: More marketing coming your way. Well, I think that's important though, because I think some of the most successful cigar brands are those that have a really strong story and connection. So yeah. you read about your family. It's a different type of history than most people in the cigar industry, but it's still a history and it gives you. Yeah, a I
1: so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that I mean, some there's a lot of bullshit out in that business. I, I love uh, Robert Caldwell and the way that he tackles it by creating Go East and he creates a guy that's saved by dolphins and all the things. Because I mean, there's a lot of send up stuffs there. But as far as you know, our family history and how it affected my business with cigars was actually very pertinent. Um, and then, of course, you know, you want to put some lovely designs together. So we're actually, you know, picking bits of the old. The Villa Castagli Palace, um, which you can read about on Wikipedia. I mean, this is a the thing, these things all read about Wikipedia. So, um, you know, because they make there's a beauty to the place, the Bella in Egypt. I mean, Egypt was sat as one of the wealthiest countries on the planet in the Bella There were something like over 240 palaces built there by wealthy businessmen. And uh, in fact, ours was one of the the, the first built in a place called Garden City. And it's so beautiful. Uh, in fact, Lawrence of Arabia said, God, sitting looking at all of this opulence at Garden City makes one you, makes you want to turn into a socialist, you know? So it was over the top. So you get beautiful imagery though you can get from this and you then use that for your artwork and your accessories and whatever, because it's a stunning stuff, you know? So I was very lucky in that way to be able to use that.
0: So when you decided to, you know, launch this company of your own and have some regular cigar lines, how did you approach like developing a blend? Did you want to blend based on your palette or did you kind of put it in the hands of the uh, the factory well, that you work with?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, naturally, uh, how it all started with me to turn this into a proper, I'd say, more 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 grown up um, brand was with Henry Kellner Jr. And what was my experience up until then? Cuban cigars. Well, in particular, cigars created by this chap, uh, you know, Carlos Valdez Mosquera. You can see a bit about him on our website. And he was an Eau de Monterey specialist, you know, back in the 50s as a kid. He was rolling Eau de Monterey. And so he, he and we know what that's like, right? Uh, sweet and spice and all things nice <laughs> and mild. And so that's what I grew up with. And that's kind of a. Uh, in the cigar business and by the way my first cigar i had when i was 12 years old you know you could have them at school in those days so <laughs> i think they're trying to give you them so you can make it throw up so that way you don't get into tobacco but no i enjoyed it um and uh so i always liked uh, cuban the cuban palette which is 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 a uh, full body but mild cigars so that's what i had to play with so when i gave back to Hendrik, and said you know um Uh, here's my Lancero, and here's my Flying Pig, which we called it then. Um, uh, And here's my Super Bellicoso. Um, And uh, those are the three cigars I gave him. And I said, you know, can you get close to that? Because that's how you start with, right? You've got to start from a starting point. Um, And so uh, he created what we know now as our traditional line. Uh, I had my first ever blind tasting, which I think was quite an amusing story because it really – Describes how a blend develops. I mean, I gave him these damn cigars, and he smoked them. And he says, mm, "Okay, off your hotel, come back tomorrow." And there I was sitting with five lanceras in front of me, A, B, C, D, and E on the bands. I said, "Well, what's in these?" And he says, "Ah," he says, "You know, this is uh, two things here, Jeremy. One, don't talk about Cuba in this country; it's not a good thing. And secondly, you know, if I told you what it was, you wouldn't—it uh, wouldn't be a blind tasting, would it?" um and uh i bet you haven't done that in cuba which is of course the truth i hadn't um so by giving you that story it's always saying i'm not a blender i'm not a master blender the master blender is be like Hendrik jr and mm-hmm. i can give you much more description of what i think a master blender is i didn't blend the cigars but i knew what i wanted because he because i know what I, I like to smoke and i think that's how a lot of people uh, develop their blends they're not going to make something they don't like Well, if they do it's not going to sell is it because you're not going to have your well maybe it does sell but if you don't have your heart behind it it'll die because of bl- you know as the brand owner it's what you talk about the enthusiasm you know and be that from the biggest to the smallest and, and you know small companies like ours so you know there i was smoking through these these first lancero second i just make the first like you know Sort of quarter of it and then the next one and i got to the third one and then it was like a eureka moment for me it became our grand cafe of course and i said this one he said what about the other two and i said don't confuse me this is close to what i expect from a cigar and what my palate is and there he was like a magician he holds up number three he said i'm not fussing of you jeremy but you know at least the taste you like and this is what i had and then he broke down the whole cigar for me and you know as it and and like a great teacher he would get you to answer any questions. He said, OK, Jeremy, so that's the one you want. Yeah, he said, OK, so tell me about a Cuban wrapper leaf. I said, what's so a fin and floral? And then I have arguments with, you know, these New World Cigar guys because it's got zero to do with the taste. It's pure for beauty and aesthetics. And he says, yes, and you're right. It's kind of as close to a Connecticut to sort of the leaf Cuban stuff. And uh, very thin, and you know, lots of cracks on it because I don't wear, I'd put cellophane on it. But anyway, so you said, So there's your, so, so this cigar has got Brazilian cubra, it's a Habanos project, it's very uh, thin and floral. Says, so tell me about your Oida Monterey. And I said, Tell me about the fields. And I said, Well, it's a place called San Juan in Martinez, it's very red, you know, there's red soil iron rich he says yeah and says what does Iron rich give you I said, give mild cigars he said yes yeah, and sweet and spice and my father had done a project on this he said and he's written a cigar, a cigar journal two, two, two years prior to that in 2010 he'd written this essay about the, the terroir matching it to where oida Montre fields were so he says you've got one of the hybrids he created and whatever, and that's coming from the same field. It's basically a Oyo de Monterey (laughs) knockoff. I went over, you know, it gives you that essence. Yeah, so I said, okay, right, and saying this, and he said, okay, tell me more about Oyo de Monterey. I said, well, it's kind of got a creaminess to it. Said, yes, so we got some San Vicente in there, again, Dominican, um, in the filler, tripper, and it's from calcium-rich soil. So you've got a creaminess to it. And it's also combined with that binder leaf I was telling you about. He said, this gives you this. But tell me more. Go ahead. He said, so well, it's got a it's got a body. It's got a little bit of strength. It's not, it's not like candy. He said, exactly. So you've got Nicaragua and Condega Visa, he said. Right? And Condega, Condega, as we know, is quite quite organically rich. And he said, oh, tell me more. I said, well, the body is when you're finished with a damn cigar, where you take it out of the mouth, you have like a little bit of spice. It's like tobacco. I said, great. So you got Pennsylvania Broadleaf in there, he said, and uh, that gives you that little bit of zing. There's your Cuban Frankenstein, Jeremy. Now, I told that story and I said, that shows just a little bit about it. I had no idea what he was going to give me, but I knew what I liked. And then he said, this is actually what was created. So we had those traditional line cigars, went to Cigar Journal Blind Tasting, look it up, Cubanesque spice, he said people say and if it's not Cuban of course not it hasn't got that smell of honey but it has got a lot of the characteristics that mildness the body um and uh you know it's it's astonishing how what he did and we if someone to Russia someone to 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 Prince Khalid and Saudi they've come back and say you know what are these Cuban cigars you come up with they're kind of interesting (laughs) so that's that and I remember someone telling me after doing this, I told that story to some people in Germany. And there's a guy who looks after Oliver there. And he said, Jeremy, why are you trying to make something Cubanesque from the new world? I said, my dear friend, that's what the market expected on me. I'm here to make money as well. And my markets so I was selling it to expected something Cuban or Cubanesque because I've been doing it for like 15 years by then. So there you go. That gives you an idea of how the brand started, what, how you get to a blend, I suppose, and it's given you a very good story, I'm no master blender. A master blender is someone like Kellner Jr. who will get that grand cafe and every time he makes a batch or smoke it and make adjustments, because you're dealing with something which inherently is gonna be changing as far as the raw material, right? It's either aged tobacco from the same lot, aging more, or it's a different harvest. So what he does is he makes his fine adjustment, adjustments to make it consistent year after year after year. And that is a master blender, rather like the magician at Shivas Regal or Coca-Cola or whatever, who got the recipe and makes the adjustments.
0: You know, it, it, it reminds me of um, one time when I was speaking to Hendrick um, you know, I asked him, because everybody looks at him as being like the master blender this uh, is Hanky Senior, yeah. Uh, Hanky Sen- Senior. yeah I remember I asked him about being a master blender. He said, "You know, I'm in um, class was sitting there the, at the interview and you know, Hanky pizza uh-huh and, and Hanky was like, you know, um, I don't really consider myself a master blender." he said, because a master blender knows everything, and I don't know everything about tobacco because there's always something new to learn. So you know, class was sitting there going like, "Oh my gosh, I did ne- like, I never expected my father <laughs> to, to say that." You know that he doesn't consider himself to be a master blender because it's like he's like, "Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a student." Yeah, what is
1: it? I mean, I'm sure Hendrik wouldn't either. But you know, I always think like a dad is like the uh, engineer. He's one of the great agricultural engineers. But his son, I mean, Henke says, "Jesus, I don't know if my son even wants to make any bloody money because he's so micromanaging." little ju- junior but and he will be the last person he's a modest guy to say I'm a master blender um but he is because this is what he does Those a little adjustments so I've seen it at work and how passionate he is about his tobacco and he knows so bloody much um uh, but you're never going to know everything right well no <laughs> but um you know I would say a blend master then shall we <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're talking about obviously, you know, a lot of the people that I speak to have started off maybe in the Dominican Republic and gone international from there. So you, you have a a completely different story uh, starting off where you did, because, you know, being in London, you know, the London market, for example, they do have Cuban cigars and in America don't. So it's like this mystical thing here in America. So did you have any concerns about your blends kind of uh, like translating well into the American market, just because a lot of the Americans have not had a Cuban cigar. So.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you know, we've been at that stage before getting to the American market. I mean, a traditional line, you know, is not like quite like Cuban, but it's got a Cuban heritage, I suppose. Um, no Cuban tobacco in it. But by the time um, we got to America, And really started doing it properly in 2015 um you know we'd already kind of like done cut cut pretty well in some good markets you know already um uh be it in belarus or saudi or germany or again we you know we are scattered into a few countries by europe by then and then of course you've met vlada vladestoyanov and he's he's a sommelier he's got an incredible palate And he was always the one that said, you know, I was playing in America, you know, before he came along. And we kind of just put it into Biggs Mansion, just one of two things. But it was like, I still have my uh, elsewhere. And he said, Jeremy, you know, he was a Serbian lad. Right. And he was crazy about Cuban stuff. And he tasted our Grand Cafe. And he said, I think he started crowdfunding boxes (laughs) for his friends there. But he said, I'm going to work in the I mean, he was a top consultants and top hotels out in the West Coast. And he says, when you're ready, you tell me. I'm going to build it here. And a lot of it is down to Vladder about the American reception um, because, you know, he know he knew how to put over the tastes and where we're coming from very eloquently to the clients and built the market. You know, so the American market and its growth and its reception has got a lot to do with Vlada. And it's got a lot to do with the cigar and very little to do with me, to be honest. I've been very much involved with the developments elsewhere. Um, and, and, and Vlad has, you know, managed to do a great because he knows how to explain tastes much better than I do. Um, and he had huge faith and still does, I hope, <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the brand. And uh, so, you know, um, the reception of it was the fact that he said, I know this is going to work. Uh, we'd obviously tested the water in Biggs Mansion in Chicago and it went down pretty well there. Um, we liked it. But as far as America wide, you know, he really grew it and he knew how to explain it. Thank you, Vlada.
0: Good. And I think you probably came into the U.S. market at a good time because, you know, retail has changed in that they're not just fixated on, you know, well-known brands from from four, four or five different countries now. Sure. Um, American cigar smokers now seem to be. Uh, they don't seem to be overly brand loyal, but they, they're they willing to try new things. So. Yeah, it's an amazing sort of
1: boutique um, enthusiasm coming from your country. I mean, you know, America always had these exotic brands in anyway. I mean, in Europe or the rest of the world was, you know, I grew up was like 95% Cuban, 5% Davidoff. You know, even Arturo Fuente and stuff was like pretty exotic. And so America had always been a very competitive market. I think that also... A very mature one because of it because they were taking all these different brands from from the year of embargo basically and the old cuban families were doing a great job in putting these new ones in um because that's the only you know they had a market the one of the, the biggest market by far in the world plus cuban free and uh you know there's a huge enthusiasm i've never come across they were so enthusiastic uh, smokers in many ways of all these boutique brands and obviously you know when i go over there you do see these like place just absolutely you know any you know real cigar nerds way way out there um and uh yeah uh so thank you america for all the um you know support we've got and and just sorry i haven't been able to visit a lot of you guys and uh, you know you get disconnected being out here two years of covid and one year of now ukrainian mess up you know what's going on it kind of diverts you much more to what's going on around you and you kind of forget America behind you but you know um uh yeah looking forward to getting back over there and spending some time and the, yeah, the enthusiasm the guys which go on the blogs the people like yourself Antoine you know, all this is is, is uh uh very, I won't say humbling because a lot of people use that word but it's damn exciting it's great and the attention you get is wonderful you know so um thank you for that Oh, yeah. I'm sure some people out there hate me, but no. um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great to be going there. Americans full of enthusiasm. That's what makes you a great nation.
0: So so seeing that you have a, uh, you know, a, this is just in my light here. Oh, you got one of those
1: little light circles. Haven't you? Uh, yeah, I have to. I know my daughter's <laughs> found one of those. She's trying to do TikTok shits on it. Now it's the first time I've seen one in action. I can't get the damn thing to work. I won't surprise you. Really. Um, I like
0: <laughs> I have a, a mini one, and then I have one that kind of decides if it's going to work or not, and then I have a new one that I haven't even opened yet. So I'm all about ring yeah. lights. I should buy stock and ring lights.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I buy some walk off ones in
1: Egypt. Didn't do us any good <laughs> there.
0: So looking at your company, I mean, y- you're everywhere now. <laughs> you're you're in different continents and countries and cities. Spin. Yeah. <laughs> the well. ver in
1: 1943 about to hit the top line isn't it <laughs> spread fin. we got the supply lines are getting choked <laughs> yeah sorry I'm, I'm the, the,
0: um, like your, your overall goals for your company like like where do you well what do you want to accomplish
1: well basically it's consolidation now i mean the thing is we are spread fin, actually joking aside i mean we're getting um you know, one of the things which was really interesting to see was in Half Wheel did this thing the consensus and that Castagli was mentioned in the top seven brands uh at the end of last year across 48 different sort of um uh you know, so you know, diff- different media outlets for premium cigars. And that that was well, blind me, we're only making uh, hundred and ninety thousand, I suppose, a year. And um this is as 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 is saying that character is an interesting man so it was boutique as fuck no we are Rista. We are totally boutique um but we are opening up markets are so reaching out to us um uh two or three a month um you know seriously you know um i can to count them up what's coming you know cropping up just from this month you know so um the, what we we really what i do foresee is that we're trying to um, you know, build my target is, is to build a bit of a legacy of the Castagli family. Um, I think the history is an interesting one. So we got our um uh Villa Castagli line of a line of accessories, which we're moving away from the cigars and different sites soon, so we can use still use it for marketing because obviously tobacco is under assault. Um, but we're really looking at some interesting things there. We're creating lifestyle products as well. And, uh, you know, may get even back into the rag trade a little bit. Um, but so, so that's what I foresee as far as the future is concerned. Yes, consolidation. Um, where there's, we can see no problem of us being in every continent on the planet because we pretty much are at the moment. Um, you know, it's rare to get a company, a brand run by an Englishman and in, in South America, for instance, you know, when Brazil has taken us on board and uh venezuela's reaching out jesus i love venezuela right um but um uh so what i foresee in the immediate future is that um uh joking aside about the story about the tragic german army thank god they went but um it's to consolidate our supply lines and to um you know we're still very you know a young company in many ways and talking about yes 25 years in but only since 2012 in in this what they call the new world
0: uh,
1: product so um you know we need to you know i am looking at potential investments in a factory in the future in the near future i've just got to find the right one um and we'll see what happens there Um, because i need to consolidate us to go for the next 10 to 15 years well i'm looking 15 years ahead now as Mm -hmm. to you know because we're gonna get more demand. Um, and one of the things which interesting about companies based outside of America is of course the Cuban is collapsing around us. There's only, I think, 50 million, 50 million cigars made last year in Cuba, premium cigars. Um, previous to that was 70 million. Um, in the 1999, 2000, it was almost 100 million. So that demand, for places like uh the, the middle east and the far east like singapore they were reaching out to me and these most of them, a lot of them are habanos dealers to be honest they had the Habanos distributors and they know of me because of those old days <clears throat> some of them uh i uh, they know our cigars have been written up some of them like you know this is he started in cuba and then it developed from that cubanesque taste to now other more crazy things i mean a villica stagly line has got nothing to do with cuba nothing to do with peru one of my favourite tobaccos I'm smoking now, um, but uh, so I see just demand increasing um, for companies like ours sat outside of the United States, where you know in the most most uh, most uh, new old cigars go to America about eighty five percent of them, you know because I'm out here, you know um, I've got all these other countries, exotic countries coming on board, and I've got to look after them.
0: What, what when I was doing my research on you and listening to some of your other interviews, um, you were talking in one interview about how in some countries you have plain packaging that you have to compete with. Mm-hmm. And how right here in America would look at plain packaging and think it's a bad thing. But I think if I took it right, yeah. you're saying that it turned out to be a good thing for you all. Yeah. I
1: mean, we take a little, I mean, let's sort of go way back to when cigars are just fighting for their pure, you know, for the brands were creating themselves. There was no packaging at all. Hardly any packaging at all at the beginning, was it in the late 1800s? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, what we found as a, as, a, as a control experiment would be in Ireland, where uh, we were selling for a wonderful outlet, so it still are, called um, Decent Cigar, Grafton Street. And uh, we were mostly known for doing Cuban cigars there. And then in 2012, 2013, we just were selling white, you know, goods coming from uh, Costa Rica. Uh, we had made some quite Cuban-esque stuff there, so that suited their palate. We could get hold of some strange leaf, Um and so they were. We were selling maybe one to two thousand cigars a month in Grafton Street. Now, when plain packaging came on board, Guy Hancock, rest in peace, Guy passed away this year, but he said, "Jeremy, now's your time, because you're." Cigars have got pure quality, and now gonna sit next to the Bolivar Bellicoso, whatever, they're all gonna look the same. No marketing stuff, and people will be more inclined to the flavor. And the sizes, they'll go for a size, oh, I wanna have a, like this a Super Bellicoso, for instance, or, or a Robusto, or a Corona Gorda, and then you got those, oh, well, let's try this one. Because they're more accessible, as against the stuff which, you know, have kind with big Cuban Habano stuff everywhere. Now they're all sitting with just a simple band on it our supply our, our, our demand went from you know thousand to about three thousand cigars a month sale so, because it's pure quality isn't it mm-hmm. so so you know when um plain baming I mean, you are you guys don't even have warning labels on your 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 uh, boxes and they'll make that go on um but uh, you know actually um don't feel afraid if you got you know the consumers and now not going to be, you know, if they do go plain packaging like in Ireland or Australia, they're not bombarded with just marketing stuff. Um, but it's just pure quality they've got to go for. You understand? I mean, that's that's what the guy and also you've got to have a guy in the in the store which has got so he's qualified, but he's gonna ask your taste, whatever. But you're kind of more inclined to go for quality over marketing. And so, you know, I'm looking at that. Um like in Saudi Arabia, for instance, they don't like cigars with bands on them. Period. They're purists, and and uh, you know that is the cool thing. Yeah, so they're a bit more open to exotic cigars coming there. Strangely enough, you but think- uh, you know, and then the marketing, you know, we we're looking at it for our, you know, the stuff you wear and your 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 silk squares and all that stuff. That was still a wonderful thing to have and to have that bit of like, a staggering legacy and those patterns which were developed back in those days. But then the actual cigars themselves just stand out for quality. They live and die by it in those markets. That's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah. And and when you kind of look at that situation, do you think it's more that maybe some of the manufacturers are are concerned about plain packaging because then everybody has to compete in terms of quality?
1: Well, I think that if you you know your quality products and you're – I mean, the thing that they, people are concerned about, the big companies and small ones, is just the, the the annoying of having to create another packaging, you know, because you've got the, all the beautiful stuff, and then you've got to create these sort of olive brown boxes. It's the inconvenience. But I think that if it, you know, look at the cigarette companies, for instance. I mean, they're in plain packaging. They covered all the stuff up. They're still selling their product. But, you know, people are still going to have their, you know, their tobacco, you know, their premium tobacco. It's a hobby and it's a growing business with all the shit they throw at you with the, the, the taxes and the, you know, the, the warnings and where you can and cannot smoke, still grows. Um, I think it's, it's a concern because of the, um, uh, more of a concern for the box companies and printing companies, I think, than for the tobacco. It would save me a lot of money, not having to spend a lot on these wonderful boxes. Um, the main thing is, I think it's really important with that happening, potentially, is getting your market loyalty now, you know, this is where you're carving out the market yourself. Like we did in Ireland, people had got used to that taste and that flavor, um, but it just, they uh, say, oh, right, now we got all of, you know, the, 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 these, these, all these cigars look the same, but we know that tastes good, you know, so I'm um, less likely to be influenced by the marketing as I was saying, and they just go more for the taste. So um yeah, I mean it would have a Castagli name on it, of course, and they, they know that's a Castagli cigar, even if it's just plain print on a fax type paper, you know, ring, um, or on the box. I mean, mass cigars in Ireland sit without anything on them. So, you know, but they just know what to go for. So there's that Castagli one, okay, we go for that. <laughs> so there, yeah.
0: I think that's really interesting because, you know, you always read about plain packaging and you brought up the good point that some of the cigarette, you know, people, they don't have half the marketing tools that uh, mm-hmm. a cigar company does. And yet, I mean, maybe their sales aren't what they used to be, but they're still there.
1: <laughs> a, fr- a, fr- a Frenchman wants his galois, you know, um, and that's their right. <laughs> you know, And, and so, uh, you know, as an example. And, you know, Philip Morris in Turkey is a little bit stronger than Philip Morris elsewhere. They have their little different recipes and people like it. I mean, I don't I'm not into cigarette smoking, but it's just an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, imagine if all your cheeses had all the packaging gone. They just go for flavors. You know, which one looks a bit more running? I'll go for that. And then, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I do understand where. Um, some, some purists as well on the other side said, God, we don't want to lose those wonderful names on the boxes and all that stuff. And I understand that bit of history, but you know, you know, as long as you know, Arte Fuente will always be an Fuente. Davidoff will be a Davidoff. Cuban's going to be a Cuban, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, that will stay as long as you stick with the quality. But there's a lot of cigars out there, which are purely on marketing. And, um, and, and that's over quality. Some of them marketing over quality and they'll they will they will suffer I think
0: and not their names you know but on the so. other side of that though you your company has very um I would say distinctive design qualities that I know like on your website and I think in other interviews you say your your wife helped
1: yes oh, yeah she helped me get this bloody computer going properly <laughs> she was shocked when i woke up she's poor thing has got covid now as well oh. so she's yeah yeah no no she well she um she certainly did i mean she when, when i met um uh, trina I and mean, she was working for Search and sachi at the time and she'd always been marketing i mean the age of 23 24 she's doing marketing for the airport of talon um so she was the one i mean i you know i've never been a, a marketing guy i've been more of a salesman i suppose um uh but i remember she was this, this wonderful i, I, I went tip it sideways because it be, but you know you got a bit of a pattern here you know you can see all my ashes you got the pattern behind it that sort of like wallpaper pattern well if you've seen, she was the one that observed it. look, these pictures of uh, the old Castagli Palace and that wallpaper. The Egyptian Times had sent us sent some colored pictures. And he said, why don't you use that? <laughs> I said, well, OK, good example. Um, and she is now head of our marketing. Um, and we have the uh, Adelina Vahe also dealing with our social media. And she's an international model. So she kind of knows how to build that bit of it and to make the stories or whatever, as well as Trina doing it. So yeah, we got, uh, I was just very lucky through marriage, having a marketing expert. I mean, she was looking, she was looking after Vodafone um, a company called Elisa. She was all that, they're doing the head of their marketing, which is the main, tele, one of the main telecoms companies in, in, in Estonia, and the Baltics. So, you know, she knows her stuff and she's great with it. So yeah, and I then have to get involved with social media. She does all <laughs> of that because I'm really, it's beyond me. <laughs> I mean i love it i do see all the comments and all the things but i don't know how to interact with it you know so.
0: uh, well you said that, that sales is more your thing so what can what have you learned about sales as it relates to a luxury product like castagli cigars like
1: yeah um well it's obvious the, the, the thing is it's you've got to, there's three main things for for sales and a luxury product okay um got to have a great backstory OK, it's got to have a story behind it. Um, so let's just take Cartier, right? It's the tank watch. You know, why is that square, that, that design classic is that square watch face called the tank, named after the tank of World War One. You know, they say, like, oh, people, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes, it doesn't like a tank from above, uh, hence called a tank. So there's a, it's a great story in Cartier. We know there's the, the story of the family, if people are into watches. So you've got that. You've got provenance so for instance you know for our cigars yeah we try to like when i was dealing with the cuban stuff we were making that's carlos valdez mosquera he was like the one of the top torcedors in cuba um there were six of them like the buena vista social club of of of, of, you know, of cuban cigar rollers so you know and um, then's Hendrik Kellner jr his name you know so provenance the backstory. We have the family stories. These all these wonderful stories, which you know happen to be true ones and even reported. Um, and then it's got to be good. It's got to be functional. So that Cartier watch has to work, okay. So it's got to taste good. So as long as you've got a product that there's got a great backstory that you know I, mean, I can grip and fraul people with or bore the shit out of them whichever way. Um, but then and you've got a provenance of the product. People always say, Jeremy, why do you talk about the the, the um doors or kelner jr your brand is what it's all about it's not about these guys and no these guys are creating the cigar i have always saying like don Almond guzman or or um you know igm making our daughters at a wind we put those factories as partners we don't hide away and say oh, this is our factory no because what the hell i don't i've got a history of having factories of cigars so you've got to have provenance a good backstory and it's got to be good. And once you've got those things, it can sell because you know you're not conning anybody and you know you sold yourself on the product. And then my marketing team makes it look good. That's <laughs> something different.
0: Oh, I think that that's interesting because I think there's everybody has their own different approach to sales. So I'll yeah, I'm sure. What, what I like the
1: going the easy way. I like this product to do all the work for me. And then I just sort of like sit in the background team. Have a, have a look at
0: this, you know. So, what's your advice to other kind of entrepreneurs out there who might have an idea for a business unless say it's a luxury brand of some sort it might not be cigars but it might be sure it might be watches it might be a luxury you know some type of luxury clothing what's your advice for them to get started like how
1: yeah, I, I suppose uh, persistence being pig-headed um, I mean, I've been through some huge knocks in my business, but um, I think if you find something you're good at, and you enjoy, it's a rare thing, by the way, to do it. I'm very lucky to do that. I mean, you've asked me a question, which is quite fascinating because, you know, I, I have, you know, before before this war in Ukraine broke out, I was selected by the Estonian Business School to actually go to, um, which is like a big international business thing, to go to speak to Ukrainian um, war veterans the ones who once have been fighting in the So I was meant to be going and actually in April this is all put together last year they selected me because they said you can connect with the um, veterans these young guys trying to start businesses have had war shock or you know uh, the the um, delayed stress syndrome and all this stuff that stuff the battlefield gives you and you know you've got the stories of how you've been knocked down three or four times and a half by you know, people trying to, you know, be, be, it, be it the name change, that's one thing, but uh, some of the other stories of Cuba and uh, distributors trying to gang up on me and use customs and excise against me and all sorts of things. But I found this is something I could do well. So if you're a guy that's creating cloth or if you're a guy that's doing your IT and you're a nerd on it and you love it or you're a coffee nerd and I want to get into that, then it's got to be persistence. You know, I have been at this for 25 years, and I've enjoyed it. Yes, some it's been hard work, but I've enjoyed it. So as long as you find something you enjoy or love, then it's persistence. And don't, and every time you get buggered up, which will happen, and by the way, that makes you stronger. You know, it's 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 staying with it. You know, uh, most companies uh, go down in the first two years. Any small company, I think there's something like a 70, 80% failure rate, um, but it says that get up and do it again and again and again, be it even an Abranovich who was selling you know, toys and affairs at some stage, and then he hit the spot, didn't he, with Barys- Baryshnikov and made him a wealthy man with Putin, whatever. I'm not saying he's a good man, but he's a persistent man. Yeah, um, so persistence was something that you love. And if you don't enjoy doing it, stop. Try something else. What's your definition of success? Well, um, if you're waking up every day and you feel that if you've retired, you would do this anyway. I suppose that's being able to be totally at peace. I mean, I love getting up in the morning early. Um, I don't you know some people have been monetary of course money is important because obviously you wouldn't do some of the other things you want to enjoy it doesn't have to be some people grade it everyone has their own version of it so it's not to, my version of it is to be waking up the freedom to do what I wish and find out I'm waking up early and going to work because I want to do it and you know um, creating a nice environment around you absolutely um, so yeah
0: was something that you've had to learn in order to become better at what you do? Um, to
1: be thick skinned, um, and to not be afraid of taking chances when, I mean, you know, when I started working with Cuba, you can imagine this was like the wild, really wild west working with that country. Uh, then you had the pressure of people trying to screw your business up, um, you know, to stop you doing what you're doing. And so, you know, I had a head start of it because, uh, to be honest, and I'm not just boasting, I, at the age of eight, I was sent to prep school. And that means you're away from your family for most of the year. Um, you sink or you swim in those places. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard. Corporal punishment, military school, basically. Um, so I was pretty much self-sustained. you know, uh, sustained. You know, I can... Um, self-reliant because you know you you know if you're going to start your own business and in, in a premium cigar world it's it's actually a really crowded especially in America um, is you've got to have that resilience and self-confidence that means that when you are kicked down then you're fine I mean I've had everything ripped away I've been mean, before the cigar business I had a business in Africa a whole lot went when Kenneth Kinder of turned into a Dominic Democrat I ended up in the streets of London uh, my family wouldn't speak to me because they were horrified of what I might be doing in Africa. The only thing I had was my signet ring. Porn that so I could get back to my family for Christmas. These aren't sub stories because I was never unhappy. And, uh, you know, I've been to a boarding school. I'll tell you just a little anecdote. OK, um, so I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Uh, and that is that uh, in the 1970s, there was a civil war going on for eight years in Beirut. There were. Four or five Brits, which were kidnapped there, a very famous one, Terry Waite, They just disappeared, and when that civil war ended, uh, these people hadn't been seen for four, five, six, seven years, and they came out one by one. And I've forgotten the guy's name, but he was a journalist. He arrived at Norfolk, and he walked out, and he people said, "What was it like?" And he said, "Well, I went to an English public school, as we call them." It says i can tell you where i've just come from the food was better the company was better <laughs> and the weather was better so i was quite okay so there's my answer to you um uh, so you know uh, you to be resilient i i luckily was had it beaten into me
0: and the final question for today after that great anecdote is what have you learned about yourself since you've launched castagli cigars
1: castagli cigars um well, I suppose I've learned that I uh, um, enjoy being with people more than I did. I mean, because, of course, you're with like-minded individuals. So one of the things that, you know, I've never really I was quite insular my own self. I wasn't a great social person. I was good at sales, but then I had nothing better than just go home and afterwards. Um, and being in a cigar community, if you can get into it, it's wonderful because the people you're, you're talking to your brand about selling your cigars to, um, in, in a way, is uh, our people are people doing this for their hobbies? They're doing it for the love of it. And there's nothing better than traveling around and and meeting all these people that just like you, whether they smoke your cigars or not, you have a great discussion about it. And it's all very thing. So I've learned that I have a much more social character than I used to be, if that's an answer. Um, and uh, I've kind of learnt, you know, what happiness is. You know, it actually settled down eventually, you know, I've got a wonderful family around me. So, um, but the basic character that you've developed going in, I think stays with you, you know. Um, I've never forgot when my father was doing a speech at my grandfather's funeral, and my girlfriend at the time, Christina was her name, jazz singer, So look at your dad. He's just that little boy that you told me about just right now, you know. Um, you look at him, he hasn't really changed, Jeremy. You've got to think about that about your father going to give him a hug because he's the same kid, same guy, you know? And so you learn about that, about yourself as well. I think the inner character you have develops in whatever line you do. I mean, you've got the environmental and experiences, but your basic character is there. So I actually have a picture here that was done of it. You know, it's actually upstairs that was done of me when I was an eight-year-old and it sits in my bedroom with some of, there's an artist in Cornwall called Siegel. And he did a pretty good rendition on me as an eight-year-old brad and i wake up every morning look at that (laughs) i said you're still that same little sod (laughs) um so yeah i hope that's an answer to the question that's the first time i can answer that so thanks for that i
0: think that's a great like note to end on that you know you don't you know the essence of who you are your exterior might change and age but in essence you're at the core the same guy you're the
1: same right. little guy that's grown up and you new know, things and you know and uh, yeah some people try to hide that whatever okay kind of this tough guy but i think ultimately when the chips are down you're that same chap looking to learn being inquisitive or not it depends who you are and that's not bad either some people are very content to sit and do their TikToks and the rest of it. And and you know, you I I, you know, being as somebody that, you know, I don't know, we call them a baby, baby boom, or whatever. And I was mm-hmm. always snaring at these bloody my kids looking at TikTok and their iPad and stuck on screens. Um, and then I look over what's going on in Ukraine and you see these young TikTokers, millennials, picking up Kalashnikovs and protecting their country. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, that's impressive for me. I don't think I'll ever take piss out of millennials again because that's extraordinary what they're doing um and also the poor young Russian boys which are you know the conscripts which mm-hmm. are dying in their thousands and you know they aren't the uh, peasant tough guys that used to be attacking in those last wars you know these kids are grown up with Instagram and everything else and they're forced into these situations as well by one real swine who's ruining all their lives So I let's finish on that. Think of the millennials, they're not as light and wet as I thought they were. (laughs) They they caught fighting them.
0: Well, for those people who are not watching uh, this and they're listening to this, could you just tell them what website they need to go to, to find out more information about Castagli and
1: yeah, sure. Um, www.castaglicigars.com. And we're on instagram and uh, all that stuff as well um and uh you know i suppose uh, and we got Vilica stagli collection as well That's it's like uh, coming up so when it, we're playing packaging across the world you can see that so um you know thanks for watching this um i'm gonna be this has been wonderful i could go on forever i'm smoking my little peruvita by the way previous tobacco is something i haven't spoken about next time but yeah. um yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean we said heading to germany um which is uh, going to be great fun because i tell them all about uh, the new project coming up my grandfather was a guest of theirs for four years they're wonderful people actually really great can't wait to be there tomorrow
0: well thank you so much for coming on today and i would love to have you you back uh later on in the year maybe we can get vlad to come on as well at the same time yeah he's,
1: he's good He'll tell him he'll tell you how i cheated him out of some cuban cigars when i first met him he, he likes that story <laughs> and you'll see us both together at uh pca if you manage to make it over there and yeah i'll be doing a little trip around uh, as well and i'll be also coming back in september uh to tour around a bit of the states as well so i'm going to make it twice this year and can't wait to see you guys out there and take a piss out of a brit
0: Come on. We're all, we're all waiting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I hope so. I'm about to put you all off. (laughs) But yeah, I'll be there.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on Jeremy and thank everybody for watching and listening to this, whether it's live or in playback mode. Uh, We do shows every, at least once, one a week, usually, but for the last couple of weeks we've had two shows and we have two shows next week. We have, Brian Dezen from Provada Cigar Club on Tuesday, uh, and then we have well, who else? And then I've we got got to have.
1: Gonna say hi to Brian for me. I think he was a bit pissed off of our brands. That <laughs> 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 I said, Brian, it's nothing personal. We just don't have the product. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but um, I think you quite a character, isn't he? So that yeah, makes- he is.
0: So we're looking forward to that. And then we have Pedro um, Gomez from Drew Estate next Thursday, and this Thursday we have Joe. Um, Jonas Santana from Blackbird. So you have three shows coming up uh, for the next uh, week and a half. So um, there's plenty more deep cuts. And for anybody who wants to watch some of the past 73 episodes, this is number 74. uh, You can see that on deepcutslive.com. And like I said, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, make sure you hit the like button or the follow button just to be notified anytime we uh, have new content. So again, we're gonna let jeremy go so he can get ready for his trip yes am so gonna <laughs> sign off for tonight and just want to thank everyone again and thank our guests for uh spending a good hour and four minutes with us yeah so.
1: yeah, yeah took so me took you. me 10 minutes to figure out how to work the computer didn't it so
0: <laughs> so we're all good <laughs> okay okay,
1: so thank, okay. You. thank you Antoine. Uh, and you're gonna cut me off i suppose now is that what happens you sort of like guillotine drop <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to hit the, the end broadcast button and you and I will still be connected, but everybody else will see a black sure. screen. So good. Thank you, everybody.
1: Goodbye. Bye. Inshallah. See you soon. <laughs>